What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. If this is your first time tuning in, my name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. I was a New York City police officer for 20 years. That was a long time ago. I retired almost 10 years ago. But um, since then, I've become a an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, a writer, a jack off of all trades. That's what I am. <laughs> I, I have... Um, I have a phenomenal guest tonight. I'm very excited to introduce him. He is a former police officer. He's a professor of political science. He'll tell us what uh, university or college he's at right now. And he's also the author of The Blue Divide. Let's welcome William Will Moravitz. How are you, Doctor? Doctor Will Moravitz. No, no, Will is fine, Mark. I, I'm pretty laid back about that kind of stuff. But yeah, thank you for having me. I, I'm really excited to be here. So, where are you coming from right now? You're in Texas. Yes, I'm in uh, New Braunfels, Texas, which is smack dab in the middle of San Antonio and Austin on I-35. It's one of the fastest growing counties in the country. And uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's an old German town that everybody seems to love. So they all came here. What's the name of it again? New Braunfels. New Braunfels. So Austin, I know Austin is a popular de destination. Obviously, I've heard of San Antonio. So you are in between those two. Yes. Um, and I was a police officer in San Marcos, which is another one of the cities in between those two major cities uh, on 35. And uh, yeah, like when I moved to New Braunfels about a little over 15 years ago, there was maybe 55,000 people in this town. Now it's about 110, 115. So it's just <clears throat> really growing a lot. People that don't want to live in the big city, they, you know, they started coming. We have a lot of people from California moving out here. Um you know, so, but we love it. It's my, where my wife grew up. So, and how long, what kind of, uh, how long of a drive it is, is it to get to Austin, like from your town? Uh, depending on traffic, maybe to get to the south side of Austin, maybe 30 minutes. It's okay, not too that's, bad. Um, it's pretty awesome. Cause Austin, yeah. I know, is a very, very popular destination right now. And I would imagine living just outside of Austin would be even better. And that's where you are. You're like, that's, yeah, there's really a, nice. a couple. There's a couple of towns a little closer that have really exploded as well uh, because of Austin. People that work in Austin, but, you know, want to live out a little further. Um, but, yeah, Austin's definitely a, a happening place. Uh, I always say that around this part of Texas, there's like two types of people. There's Austin people in San Antonio. So Austin people are kind of, you know, the, the hipsters and, you know, more artsy and eccentric and whatever. And then the San Antonio are just good old boys laid back, you know, a lot of Mexican culture. Um, I, I've always kind of leaned towards San Antonio myself, but Austin's pretty cool. It sounds wonderful. It really does. Uh, you also mentioned that you're having a, you're experiencing a big migration there, exit people exiting mm -hmm. uh, Los, uh, California in droves. Oh That's yeah, the room. for That's sure. The rumor. Yeah. There's a, the hill country out here is real pretty. Um, there's a lot of old ranches that were several thousand acres that the family, you know, the patriarch died and the kids don't want it. So they sold it to developers. And so there's just a bunch of places out here that, you know, the small lots are about an acre and then the bigger ones can get to 15, 16 acres, maybe even a little bit bigger. And uh, yeah, a lot of people just love it. It's, it's a nice town. But uh, it's, it's getting a little big, though, for <laughs> a lot of the people that grew up here. Are the Ewing still in Texas and Dallas? No idea. <laughs> you know, um, I think they, they are. But I mean, I used to watch the show as a kid, but I, I don't. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up with them. Oh, I yeah. remember, I remember when, JR, when JR shot. That was a big episode, man. I must have been mm -hmm. like, I'm 54. That must have I must have been like um, 12 years old. And I remember that yeah. was the talk of the town, man. When Jr. shot, who shot Jr.? That was who, who shot, shot Jr. JR. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Dun, dun, big dun, big dun. time stuff. Yeah, that was a great show, man. The Ewings. Look, uh, let me do a roll call while we have uh, the people here in the chat. People have showed up. It's one of those days, man. It's uh, I'm a little. I'm tired a little too early. Okay, so for starters. Uh, we don't want to start off any any other way than this. Raquel Pranzo was the first one here tonight, so she's gonna she's gonna get a foot post tonight, right in the center of town. Hi, Raquel, how are you? She says hi, Mark and guest Will Moravitz. Can't wait for some great insight. 
Milwaukee civilian. Uh, he says, Raquel, glad to see you in the chat. I love these podcasts. Bill and Mark have really crafted a great product. Miss Knight, she says, hello, POC in chat. Um, Louisa, Little Mermaid. Hi, everyone. Michalina Serino, hello, everyone. Ruth Ann Griffin. Hi, Mark, she says. Hi, Ruth Ann. Nice to see you again. She says, hi, Will. Um, who else we got? We mentioned Milwaukee Civilian. Uh, let's see. Paulina. Where, where did Paulina go? Paulina Buckles. Hi, Mark and Professor Morovitz. And all friends here. Alicia B. Hi, Alicia. Gina G. Sandy Riggs. As a little girl in the late 50s, a little town we sent through, we went through from San Antonio to East Tennessee. Yeah, she 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 was there. She spelled it New Brownsfels. Yeah. yeah. I'll definitely check that town out if I ever get a chance. I'm thinking about getting out of New York at some point. And, you know, um, just uh, obviously Florida is like the destination for many New Yorkers. But yeah. I don't know if Florida is for me. But, you know, what you mentioned about that, that town and how close it is to uh, Austin and and then you got San Antonio close by, too. That sounds like a really cool place to be. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it still has a lot of that small town feel. We have every every November there's a, a big festival called Worst Fest. It's a 10 day beer and sausage festival, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's a little town. It's. It's technically a separate town, but it's within New Braunfels. It's called Green, Texas. Uh, it's the oldest dance hall in, uh, in Texas. And it basically hasn't changed since 1880 something. So like the restaurants are used to be the grist mill and, you know, all these different, it's just a really fun place to go. We get, get a lot of uh, famous musicians that come through to play at Green Hall. So it's pretty cool. You know, I just recently went to Epcot and, we were going to, you know, they have all the foods from all, all the countries all over the world. And I was going to pass. I wasn't going to get anything from Germany because my grand, my mother was from, uh, she was born in Czechoslovakia. And my my grandmother was from Austria. And I, I hated the, the food growing up. It was goulashes and a lot of paprika. And it was nothing like McDonald's at all. It, it was always like, you know, it was like, it was it was 100% like that. You know, when you ask your, your, your parents, you want... You want McDonald's? And they're like, oh, we'll make McDonald's at home. And then mine always yeah. had onions and peppers in the burger. And I just, <laughs> what are we, I hated it. But then yeah. when we stopped, my girlfriend and I, and we uh, we checked out the menu that they had for Germany, it looked good. It looked so I, I yeah. had, I, and that was probably the best food that I had that day, the German food there. I had a pretzel. I had a potato pancake. I had uh, a strudel. And all yeah. three of those things were awesome. Yeah, they're really good. That the potato pancakes they sell so fast over there at the Worst Fest, and there's a lot of music events and dancing, and you see people wearing later hosen and walking around, and mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a lot of fun. There's there's a lot of cool stuff like that around here. I guess that's why a lot of people are moving here. Um, you know, making it's not not quite the small town it used to be, but it's it still has a lot of charm. What is the thing about Texas though that weather wise that people probably would be apprehensive about do they get tornadoes or hurricanes what 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 is it? well they don't do it well in the snow yeah no it, that, <laughs> last I remember. year we call we call it the snow again that happened last year it snowed for five days straight which in where i am it had not snowed that much since 1985 or 86 like january of 86 uh so it was a, it was a huge deal we weren't prepared for it um as far as the weather though i mean it kind of just depends where you're in texas you go down to the southern tip and it's tropical you know it's beaches and palm trees and stuff like that hurricanes will hit houston and galveston every now and again uh not a whole lot of tornadoes unless you go up in the panhandle but we're we're one thing that is kind of common throughout the state is it's hot as hell <laughs> you know i mean it gets it gets pretty hot uh and and the closer you are to the gulf it's it's humid too like houston is very humid in the summer and it's hot and whatever but um you know, it's it's not as bad as uh, Phoenix. I, I went, I visited there a few years ago, and it was like 119, 119 uh, degrees in the shade. <laughs> I was like, wow. I was like, I, I I can handle about 108, but that's a that's mm. about the max. So that's crazy, 108. Hey, uh, so tell me about you. You said you were a police officer for what, like three years? 
Yeah, I was working for the city of San Marcos. Uh, personal uh, family stuff kind of got in the way of, of that career. I ended up getting divorced. Uh, my two sons were uh, very, very young at the time. The oldest was three and the other, the younger one wasn't quite two. And, you know, my dad wasn't around growing up and I always kind of promised myself that I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. And so it's like, okay, if I go back to being a cop, because I, I stopped to kind of try to save the marriage and, and work through some things didn't work out. So I was like, I want to go back. It was only about a year, right? I, I left in the fall of 2006, got divorced in the summer of 08. So it was only about a year and a half, two years, but I thought about it and it's like, you know, working the night shift, you know, and, and, and having two little kids. And I just, I just made the decision, you know, for them that I wanted to go into to something I could see them more often. And so a lot of my family are teachers. And so I was like, you know, let's do that. And uh, I figured if I was going to be a teacher, I wanted to, you know, teach college eventually. And so got, got my advanced degrees and, you know, that's what I do now. So, so how, um, I don't want to pry too much personally, but no, was, okay. you, you know, you mentioned that um, a bone of contention in your marriage prior to the divorce was you, that, that you were a cop. No, it, it was related. Um, I became a cop after we were married. And initially my the boy's mother was very supportive of the career. But once we had a uh, first son, you know, it, I'd be working night shift. It'd be two in the morning. He'd be crying. She, you know, she worked full time too. So she'd get up, couldn't console him. She'd call me and, you know, I could like talk to her for a couple of minutes. And it's like, Hey, I got a call. I got to go. And she didn't quite understand that, you know, too well. And, and, you know, I get called in to go to, you know, do overtime or to, to uh, you know, make it take, take someone's shift who's out. And she'd always, you know, it was, it was a strain on the relationship when I would do that. And so it's kind of like I was torn between loyalty to my brothers and sisters in blue and loyalty to my wife. And so, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it was a, it was a big factor. It was not, you know, the only factor by any means, but yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that that could be very difficult in my situation. I was fortunate that, um, that I didn't have to work overnights. That's because good. that that could have been a big problem. Uh, overnights is a tough shift for yeah. There's a special breed of people that that work overnights. <laughs> they're not like um, they're not normal at all. They they're not not bad people. <laughs> Somebody's got to yeah. do it. But I mean, most of them like they they cite one of the reasons for working overnights is they don't want to have to deal with the bosses. That's a pretty big sacrifice <laughs> to make just to not have to be around a supervisor. As often yeah. as, as the average officer, but um, yeah, that's a tough shift to work that overnight. We didn't we didn't have much choice. It was done by seniority, so the new guys pretty much were going to be stuck with midnights. You know, how big was that police department? Uh, at the time, there was about ninety, I believe, and now it's it's quite a bit bigger. That, that that's another one of the areas that's growing a lot. There's a, a major university. Texas State University. It's the fourth largest in Texas. It's right there in San Marcos. Um, so now I think they're probably about 120, maybe 125, somewhere in there. And they don't mind oh. having cops on campus over there, unlike Harvard University oh. that kicked them off. Did you hear about that? No, the uh, I, I did. Um, when they did not, wasn't that the one where they they had the cop killer come speak? Is that or is that was a different? No, one? that was another. That was another. Okay. Um, Massachusetts yeah, Texas, University. Texas State has uh, Texas State has their own police department. Um, you know, it's M Harvard University had um, on the campus itself had a little, a small little a hub, a police station, a hub, and the students they they, they wanted it removed, so they removed it. Um, it's just uh, it's well, just crazy. Don't, don't call nine one one then when, when something bad's happening. I mean, I, imagine being the parents of somebody who's uh, away in college, knowing that okay, I, I feel I'm comfortable. There's there's this little police station over there. When I dropped off their bedding and I, I set them up and everything, all right, look, the cops are right here. And then one of my kids, my, my kid is the one that's uh, the leader of, of of wanting to get rid of the police there. I would be pissed. Jeez. Yeah, you know it's. It's tough, the college level. Uh, you know, I, I don't speak for the college I work for. When I when I talk on these things, it's 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 my uh, my own personal views. But you know, it, it's 
it's pretty bad everywhere. I mean, the college I work for has this uh, anti-racist book club. Uh, <laughs> and I decided I decided to join in last last Friday for the first time. It's I didn't have the book, but I've read some of the books in that kind of category and uh, found them intellectually bankrupt in a lot of ways. Um, but anyway. So I was on Zoom and I just I joined and, and I, I wasn't planning on talking. I just wanted to listen, you know, but they, they had me introduce myself. So I did because I was new. Um, and, you know, the first 20 minutes was bashing the founding of this country. And, I, you know, I'm a, a member of the Sons of the American Revolution. I have four ancestors that we know of that fought in the militias. Um, so I'm a big kind of student of, of history. I teach political science, but, you know, history is, a, you know, like a second favorite thing to do. And so much of it was just misinformation or misinterpretation. Some of it outright lies. And then the last 30 minutes was bashing police officers, mm -hmm. you know, saying things like, well, I don't know if I should even call the police because I might get hurt or someone might get, you know, the, the chances of someone getting hurt are high. And I'm, I'm over here sitting thinking, you know, first of all, they didn't know I was a cop. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I was really tempted to say, oh, by the way, I'm a cop. And I wrote this book that debunks literally everything you just said. Uh, but you know, it's just you have to deal with that, you know, constantly, pretty much every every. Yeah, camp you go to. I, I, I'm not even uh, I, I don't have the um, I wouldn't help him. It's just just me. Sometimes <laughs> I've come up with this. Um, this uh, if I see somebody doing something blatantly wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with their attitude to begin with or saying something, I'm not going to correct them. I just go along with them. Because helping them or giving them some uh, giving them some advice might help them one day, and I don't want to help them. I want them to just you know crash and burn. <laughs> let me let me go yeah. over here to the chat for a second. We got a new one, Frank Marcia. Mark, I worked overnights for all twenty years. I worked in corrections. My kids were already in high school, and my wife worked in the hospital day shifts only. So we did very well with it. Hey, listen, everybody has their own That's thing, awesome. Frank. Um, and like I said, it takes a special breed of person to work overnight. And um, you're probably just getting up right now. Right, Frank? I mean, it's <laughs> what is it, 7 o'clock? You probably just woke up. <laughs> you're ready to rock and roll. You're going to have some dinner, right? Uh, this is this yeah. is your uh, cup of coffee, 8 o'clock in the morning for Frank. But listen, let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about how you became a professor. So you, you, uh, you were done with the police department. You moved on. You did your three years. It wasn't going to work out. And did you have prior education? How much education did you have before you um, decided that you you wanted to teach? Well, I, I already had my undergrad at uh, Texas A&M University. And then uh, pretty much in 2008, when I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into teaching. You know, it's a family business. So, you know, that way I can always have the same schedule my kids have. Um, I decided, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get paid as much money as I can, which means get a master's and then ultimately a PhD to teach college. Uh, so I started going back to grad school in 2009 at Texas State. And uh, my master's program took me a little, it took me four years to finish because I kind of took time off in there. Uh, and then as soon as I finished the master's, I went into a PhD program and I finished that one in four years. So, you know, on time, on, the, on, on track. Uh, and I was very blessed uh, in 2010 to get, get married to my wife, Rosie, who uh, we're about to celebrate 12 years here in a couple months. And, um, you know, she's been great and, you know, really pushed me to, you know, be the best I can be and, and, and to write this book and, you know, to to move up from I was teaching high school dual credit like college courses to high school students. And now I'm full time at, at a at a college uh, in San Antonio. And then I teach. Most semesters, I teach some some night classes at Texas State. Do you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I do. Um, I, I love teaching, um, you know, and kind of communicating, talking about current events and things like that. And, of course, with my police background, uh, I teach, you know, when I teach uh, about the Fourth Amendment, um, you know, I'll go and kind of walk them through a very brief crash course and police use of force and training kind of just the principles of it and give it i'll, I'll have somebody come and we'll role play and you know we'll, we'll do this okay you know action fashion reaction type thing and you know just and i'll talk about some of the the, the high profile cases uh, of black people being killed by police and kind of explain in the context of what the law and the training is to kind of help them out and and that's really 
that was something I was doing, you know, college students obviously get, get all oh, police, you know? Um, and then after George Floyd was killed, I was like, I need to, need to write a book and, and try to get this message to a broader audience. Um, so I started writing it, writing it, uh, not in 2020, I started in, in 2021. Um, you know, and then it was, it was on to uh, find somebody to publish it. So it's came out almost two months ago now and it's, it's been doing pretty well. This is the book right uh, here. Yeah, it's called you. The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. And uh, where can we find this? Uh, is it on Amazon and everywhere? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, you know, pretty much all the major online retailers. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it, you can pretty much find it anywhere. And how long did it take you to write it? Um, once I sat down and actually... <laughs> dedicated some some serious time every day to it only took me a couple months um before that i was you know before that i was just kind of uh, writing a few pages here and there and i was you know going through some stuff and wasn't wasn't really putting my nose to the grindstone and then and i was like you know what i'm gonna do this because when Derek, the child Derek chauvin started i'd pretty much finished the book and um, so it was, it was kind of fortunate that for me that I, I didn't write it as quickly as I, I originally wanted to because it would have been out and finished uh, I would have been finished in the publication process prior to the trial being over and so by by kind of being a little bit uh, procrastination uh, you know I was able to to cover the trial in the book um, you know but I see in the uh, chat, Milwaukee civilian says Derek Bell and Ibram Kendi seem to be exact opposites, and and that would be correct. I've uh, I've read Kendi two of Kendi's books, The Stamped and How to Be an Anti Racist, and you know he blocked me on Twitter um, because an I interesting I new term, anti racist. Yeah. Because yeah, I tried. I, just, I tried I to listening to um, a Joe Rogan podcast. He has uh, mm -hmm. David Mamet on. Uh, that's his latest one, and they uh, they brought up that anti-racist because the the point was, it's not good enough to be um, against racism. Now you have to be anti-racism, right? You have to uh, act can you explain out, that to me? Know. Well, what what Kendi says is that no policy, and I'm you know, he's meaning like public policy, whether it be from the city, the state, or the federal government, but basically saying that no policy is race neutral. It's either racist or anti-racist. And what he means by anti-racist is it's fighting, it's actively proactively fighting against racism. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really debate anybody. Um, he, you know, he calls ca capitalism racist, but then he charges $20,000 to go speak, um, every time he goes. So, um, and he, you know, doesn't, doesn't engage people like I, like, I have a friend who who has a whole Twitter page with like thirty five thousand followers that uh, is is dedicated to debunking critical race theory and all these books um, that people are like pushing on on colleges and on mm -hmm. high schools and stuff. And uh, he has a like a collage of people that have been blocked by Kendi, and I I'm on there because I challenged him on on one of the things. What I said to him is like, hey, you said you said every policy is that if, if the outcomes show a difference between races so if for example if uh education policy is in place and it turns out black people are less likely to go to college than white people then the education policy is automatically racist um, no other no other factor is is acceptable it's not about studying it's not about do you have a dad at home it's just about that so i i tweeted at him and i said hey uh got this book out, all this research that I've done and some other scholars have done show that black people are actually slightly more likely uh, to be killed by police than whites. And I said, so are you saying the police are actually racist against whites uh, for that? And and it was like insta block, just, you know, and, and again, in my profile, you know, it says I'm got a PhD and whatever. And I'm, so I was expect, I was hoping to have some kind of academic back and forth mm -hmm. as much as you can have it on Twitter. Um, it didn't work out and uh, got blocked and you know that's just kind of the way he rolls i guess i don't think that um those people on the left are interested in any sort of debate um especially somebody who's trying to sell books and things like that they they have yeah. a belief and that's it 
and they're going to uh, pull in as many people as they can, and they're satisfied with that. As a matter of fact, it's almost like an exclusive group in a way, like um, when you think of pronouns. You know, pronouns are something – well, I'm talking about the pronouns that have come up now for uh, for gender. It's not like this. You can go online and, and, and uh, they're recommending, please go – this is the way we'd like to be addressed. And can you go look at these pronouns and learn them so then this way we can get along equally and, and you know, learn, learn uh, expand your language a little bit. No, this is this is like a private thing. It's Those are like passwords and codes words. And if you don't know them, you're not in the group. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If I'm stumbling across yeah. it, it's good because you. I don't want you in my group or you're out. You know, uh, it's just it's an insulation thing. Now, it's not a, a open come learn with me. Um you know, Jubilee, hallelujah, let's get together and get along. This is about, um, you know, who's going to be the last uh, social warrior standing. And in the meantime, I'm going to look to out you and, and kick you out of the group. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, I was teaching a, a a class earlier this semester, and I mentioned, uh, well, in, in the textbook PowerPoint presentation, um, Chelsea, a picture of Chelsea Manning was up there and I, I explained to the students who may not know who Chelsea Manning is or was, whatever it is. I, um, and I mentioned as like when Chelsea was in the army, she went by Bradley Manning mm-hmm. uh, and and Bradley released some top secret documents and going to prison and during the prison stay tran- you know, transitioned to Chelsea, got, a, mm-hmm. got released from prison and like a guest lecturer job at Harvard. Uh, and I got an email from a student like you dead named her, you can't ever use Bradley because Chelsea's always been a woman and you know kind of goes off on that and I'm just kind of like okay look dude like I'm 43 years old I've been calling men men and women women for 42 years or so when I first started mm-hmm. talking um, all of a sudden it's like you have to be without error yeah that's my point it's the separation yeah. between um, between age groups I, I I hate to advocate war in any type of um, in anything in life. I don't like fighting. I'm, I would consider myself more of a pacifist than than uh, than anti-war. But I, I just think that when the when the youngest group doesn't have anything to com- contribute, uh, they don't know their path. They don't see a path for them. Everything is done. Everything is taken care of. I'm just supposed to follow this, and this is the whole creation um, of all this stuff. The language. Um, we don't want old people. The last thing we want is old white people telling us what to do, old white men telling us what to do. It's uh, trying to find their own way. And this is all uh, nonsense uh, that, that protects them, that, that insulates them in, in making believe like what they're saying or what they're trying to do actually uh, is progressive. It's not. You yeah, can look at and, history. Yeah. The, the irony of those people that don't like old white men um, they they voted for Joe Biden, so like <laughs> he's the oldest. Yeah, but they'll argue had. that they didn't really have a choice. Um, right, right. Well, they did in the primary. You know, one one interesting thing Kamala Harris said. You know, I guess people aren't ready for a, a woman of color to be president. And I'm like, well, you basically just called the Democrats racist because only Democrats vote in the primary. Um, mm-hmm. So they they didn't like you. It wasn't the Republicans that weren't voting for you. It was it was them. But you know, you you mentioned kind of going back to your comment earlier about Harvard and, you know, when, not when the police, you know, off the campus and, and this guy in my class getting so upset because I use Bradley Manning, mind you, the, the actual federal prison record says Bradley Manning because Bradley had not transitioned. So I'm trying to teach history here. I'm not trying to teach to your feelings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do it. I try to do it a respectful way. Um, no, I mean, I would, I, I understand you should do it in a respectful way because there's no other way to get through to this person otherwise, other than being as completely respectful as possible and letting them know you have to understand this is a person and they had one identity prior to this and they did certain things when they were that per, that under that identity and now they're this identity. So, right. And, you know, the, like Bruce Jenner, for example. Um, perfect example. Obviously, they he was a, a decathlon winner. You know, he was one of uh, you know, he was in the box of Wheaties when I was growing up. He was mm-hmm. everywhere, and now he's Caitlyn. 
So if I met him, I'd call him Caitlin. But I'm not. What am I supposed to do? Erase my memory of, of watching Bruce Jenner co- complete, compete in the uh, '76 Olympics? What yeah, no, it's exactly right. It, it's '76. It, I don't know. Something like that. I, you know, when I I think back about this, sometimes I think, you know, this country has lost its fucking mind. Like <laughs> sometimes it, I like I can't. But you know. It, how did this happen so quickly? And and I have my theories on it, but you know, just getting back to to what you said about the Harvard thing and the police. Think about like my grandfather's generation. My grandfather fought in World War II in the Navy, so he's actually in the Pacific most of the time. But eighteen year olds, nineteen year olds, twenty year olds in nineteen forty four basically ran a certain death on D Day. I mean, you know, you've seen the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan. You get somewhat of an idea of just how bad and brutal it was. And nowadays, 18, 19, 20-year-olds cry if you misgender them or, or you know, they see a police officer, a badge and a gun. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I need a safe space. Like, for me, that's scary because I think about, you know, defense of this country and the future of this country. What kind of weak-ass people are we are we creating? They did a poll. Society? I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. But they did a poll know. asking uh, young people, would not only would they fight, in a war but if the war was brought here mm-hmm. here on our land not going to fight abroad because we know they ain't going nowhere over there right there's, there's a certain amount of people that join the military and it's not one of these woke people okay they're trying to transition the people that are in the military right now and good luck with that because you got some people from uh you know, down south are you going to transition they think they're yeah they, you're going to get them yeah. to transition yeehaw anyway um <laughs> They wouldn't even fight here. They would give up right. if they came to fight here. They would, if it was China, if it's Russia, if it's a combination of the two, they would let them have the country. Well, and that that same poll when it was looking at all Democrats of all ages, sixty percent said they would flee. You know, and you know, you mentioned the the South. You know, half of our military, well, roughly have about forty eight percent of our military enlisted and officers come from what you would call the old south right the the south and the civil war and you know i, I just kind of tease like someone someone invades america you know like that they they come to the south they're going to get some trouble <laughs> you know but it, it it's it's really sad for me like i said earlier you know my family has been military since 1777 or something when when they first joined the militia and to have people you know like Berkeley vandalizing and the army recruiting stations and, you know, those kinds of things. And it's like, you know, we got people in Hong Kong fighting for their freedom from China who are carrying American flags. They're spray painting Liberty or death everywhere. And well, they were, I think they were doing that. I don't think they're doing it. They were, I mean, it's Pat, but when they were doing that, I'm like, okay, let's bring all of these people to America and send all these college babies and send them to china and see how they like it you know if america is so bad why do we have two million people coming across the southern border of texas in the last year and a half you know i mean it just it, it makes no sense to me and it, it gets very frustrating when i think about my my sons and then you know hopefully one day they'll have kids and you know what 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 will america look like at that point you know if we you know one of the things that's that. interesting about your book and the way that you um you know, the, the write-up that, that I read about. Okay, so for example, this is Brianna Taylor. That's one of the cases you cover, right? This is yeah. Eric Garner. That's another one of the mm-hmm. cases you cover. And this is George Floyd. Um, another one of the cases that you cover in the book, right? And I'm sure there's right. probably other ones. The interesting part is those are three individual situations. Um, you can call them, if you will, micro-situations because... If you want to put them all, because I had this argument with a with a, a fellow comedian friend of mine, and um, he likes to put them in the macro, all in. They're all uh, deaths at the African Americans death dead at the hands of police officers, and that's there's no you can't go through the cases and and break them down and look at them individually to see okay what what went wrong here how can we fix this. All right. So you're never going to get that person to come and join you and have a conversation because they can't. All they see is color, uh, black and blue. 
and they don't want blue. So you, how can you fix the situation? Because you're trying to explain to them, okay, these are individual cases. Things things happen differently in each one of these cases. The the girl yeah. getting um, shot to death, that the 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 cop was uh, just he wasn't indicted um, because she was going to stab that other her her uh, her, oh, yeah, her, her her foster sister to death or on the verge right. with the knife, the picture in the knife all the way up here, ready to stab her, and uh, you still had people. I mean, these are all individual cases. So go through the process of writing this book. Like, is that what you're doing? You're examining each and every one of these cases? Yeah. So the, the first part of the book is is first five or six chapters. And I try to make the chapters relatively short so that, you know, people don't get bogged down. You know, read it doesn't read like a textbook. It's not uh, it's not an academic book. It's not meant to be used that way it's, it's for an everyday reader that just wants to understand the situation and so the first few chapters is all about police training to tell you the circumstances i give it examples from my own career from stories i heard from other cops and then i get into i start chronologically with eric garner all the way up through uh, i think micaiah bryant was the last one and, and that's one you were mentioning that officer reardon shoots her uh, as she's about to stab this other girl and she's yelling i'm going to I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, I mean, it's, you can hear it on the, on the video and the audio. And, uh, and then LeBron James, you know, posts this thing on his, Inst uh, in his Twitter, you're next. And this happened to be Micaiah Bryant was killed, uh, right as the Derek Chauvin trial, um, the, the verdict was being announced at, you know, within the same hour or so. And it's like, really LeBron, like, do you not care about the other black girl that was about to get stabbed to death? I mean, it, it it's like it's it's almost like it's it's okay if if a black person kills a black person, but it's not okay if a cop kills a black person, even if it's to save the life of another black person, you know. And I have don't get me started on LeBron James. I, I got got no respect for him anymore. Um, once he defended China over um, a fellow uh, or the Houston Rockets general manager, um, you know. I don't think he knows what he's talking about at all. No, it's very no. self-consumed. I think a lot of these people, especially the athletes, they feel like they have to say something like, oh, I have a platform now, so I, I, I should be saying something. Well, educate yourself. He deletes a lot of tweets because somebody tells him, hey, man, that's that's not accurate or you sound stupid. And then, he, you know, he's just, um, well, you know, one of the reporters, the female reporters, I remember she said to him, uh, or not to him, but just said, shut up and dribble. And oh, yeah, I don't agree with, yeah. yeah, I don't agree with that. It's it's it sounds to me a little racist. But in his point, when you're not that bright, you know what I'm saying? This is not a college student to somebody with uh, that graduate he went to play high school right out of basketball. I'm right out of he played a pro ball right out of high school. So, um, you know, it's he's, he's not that bright. It's like, dude, shut up, man. Just you, you don't yeah. know anything about China. The only thing that you know is that they send you a paycheck, a pretty big one. Yeah. And that paycheck is yeah, to shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, it's it's easy to, you know, for Disney or for any celebrity musician, athlete, it's it's easy to criticize America. But, you know, like, you know, and this is not nothing new, like uh, Bruce Springsteen years ago when North Carolina passed that bathroom bill that you actually have to use the bathroom of your equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, he's like, I'll never play in North Carolina again. But then he goes over to countries that kill gay people like like seriously like you, you know disney oh, we, people. We, we can't disney's like we can't we can't do florida now because they have this don't say gay bill which has nothing to do with saying gay but mm -hmm. that's beside the point but yet they filmed the movie milan uh right next to a fucking concentration camp where the chinese have the uyghurs uh basically in prison mm -hmm. just for the religion and it was in coordination with the group that's holding them captive you know, it's even in the credits of Milan. Thank you for letting us, you, you know, and it's just like, you got to be kidding. But China, again, it's, it's now the you money. see how many people are in bed with China because they mm -hmm. have to defend them. You know, they have to come out. If, if, if you say anything bad about China or if you join it um, or if you want to like Richard Gere, for example, perfect example, whatever happened to him. You know, like I said, Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood gave him the boot. He was just talking about Tibet too much. Uh, yeah. But um, if if you come, you have to come to the defense and then you have to shut up or and all these companies are being exposed. The NBA, 
Disney, um, they 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 don't know what to say. They don't have an argument because it's so obvious that you you know you're you belong to them. They own you. They own yeah. you. They pay you so much money yeah. that you have to shut up. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the Chinese market for Hollywood and for the NBA. It's it's the biggest market on earth, not even close. Um, you know, and and so. China controls like what movies get shown and different things. So Hollywood's got to kind of play ball with them. And, you know, I, I know when uh, the, the Olympics were over there in China, they were, the athletes were told, don't criticize China, you know, because it might get in trouble. And it's not like she said, okay, listen, you're going to another country. Uh, don't make fun of any other countries. Just, brag about america no she said china don't talk about that yeah yeah it's you know it, it's it's very frustrating because like like you said I, I got no problem with with a pro athlete or an nba coach talking out about injustice they see or giving their opinion on something as long as it's a informed and b it's not during a pre-game or post-game press conference you know where we're trying to watch a game to get a release from politics. And, you know, in San Antonio, a lot of people kind of pushed away the Spurs because Greg Popovich, even though he won five championships with us, uh, just wouldn't shut up about politics. And it was like, basically, you know, black people are oppressed and this is just the police are out of control and all this. Stuff. And, and again, it's, I, I blame the media for a ton of it because they're the ones that push this narrative without the facts and they run with, all sorts of misinformation right away. I mean, you look at the hands up, don't shoot from Michael Brown. Where did that come from? Well, his buddy, Dorian Johnson, that was with him is told local media and the national media is like, oh my gosh, this is great. A white cop killed a black guy and he had his hands up yelling, don't shoot, let's run with it. And they pushed it out everywhere. And, and you know, athletes and celebrities, and everybody's like, oh. and then what happens? You've got all the way up to the Department of Justice with Eric Holder, a black man uh, under the Obama administration, Oh, his hands weren't up. He wasn't yelling, don't shoot. In fact, he was trying to kill Darren Wilson. Um, but the people, people... It doesn't matter. I don't think the truth matters anymore. The truth can be easily pushed aside um, because of the fact that they're just going to go back and let's look at history. And let's, let's once again, let's macro, put everything in one thing. Cops are always killing black people. And, um, you know, when you want to do that... It's you're never going to be able to have a conversation because listen, do you think it has a lot to do with the amount, um, the amount of stuff that we're being asked to consume now in this uh, age of social media? I have a feeling like, you know, besides your interest, like if you're a gamer, what do you want to do? You want to play games all day, but now I'm being asked to know a little something about politics. Otherwise, um, it's not good enough to like. To just be neutral because new that that's the new saying too right now like neutral uh, doesn't help us. I remember when George Floyd happened, they said if you don't put up the black um, the black box on your social media, then you're um, you're a cop lover or, or a hater or whatever. Right. You, you don't believe in Black Lives Matter. It's, it's not the group. Yeah, it's virtue signaling. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. I lost my point, but <laughs> it's just it's just crazy, man. Uh, oh, let me just uh, do this before we go on any further, folks. If you're enjoying the show and you want to help us out, please join our Patreon, Patreon, uh, Police Off the Cuff, Patreon.com. We have three different tiers there. Uh, Police Off the Cuff at Patreon.com. Do us a favor, join that. And if you you like the fancy green lettering that some people have on their names, like Alicia B and Little Mermaid. And Dawn Marie and Pauline Buckles, guess what? Milwaukee Civilian, you can join or subscribe to our YouTube um, memberships as well. There's several different tiers there. We also have merch. All this helps us in the production value of our shows here at Police Off the Cuff. So thank you very much. Um, if somebody asked Pauline Buckles, can you share? Pauline, if you're still here, this is the cover of the book. It's called The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. The Blue Divide Policing, and I'm here with the author, Will Morovitz. And uh, so let's let's continue. I, I want to bring up something to you, though. I want to show you something. Okay. And this is this is a problem. 
And this is your primary problem because a lot of people use this argument. This is one of our um, congresswomen here in New York. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Um, uh, oh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, she's slamming our uh, mayor here, Eric Adams, for his policing policies. And the reason why she's doing that is because crime has gotten completely out of hand over here in New York. And, uh, the, you know, I grew up with crime here in New York. When I In the 70s, crime was pretty bad in the 80s. And then, like, later on, in the, after, like, 85, 86, this huge crack epidemic came, and then it got really, really worse. I think where we are right now is pre-crack pre epidemic now. Uh, a lot of robberies, a lot of assaults. Um, and in that, when this starts happening... In a city like New York, what happens is people start um, separating themselves again. So by that I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, as a comedian, a lot of blacks, com black comedians used to use this joke back in the day, and it was about how hard it was to catch a cab. Every one of them had a, their own version of the joke, and they were all most of them were funny because it was true. It was really hard for a person of color to catch a cab here in New York City for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't know where you're going to bring me, but no, but there's not going to be anybody over there if it's a black neighborhood or brown neighborhood that I'm going to be able to bring, pick up and bring back to the city. And number two, I don't trust you because um, I've seen all the stories in the news. How are you going to rob me? So it was a funny joke at the time. And also, too, black comedians used to do this joke about getting in an elevator with a white woman and watching her clutch her purse. Also, very, very funny jokes because at the time they were true. And then a black comedian who wasn't that funny, probably if they're still using the taxi cab analogy or the cl clutching the purse analogy, guess why? Because it wasn't that way anymore. You could, there wasn't this type of overt racism going on in the city because... Um, Crime was down. Crime became crime went so low that a lot of these people they got displaced. These people of color because their neighborhood became attractive because they didn't live too far away from the city. So what was once a shitty shitty neighborhood with a lot of crime now there's no crime there, and all of a sudden we had gentrification. Um, but now we're going back in the other way where every single right. time you turn on the news, there's a person of color. 99% uh, of the time, those because there's a lot of video now. There's Every single crime has a video. So every single video, constantly, it's every single thing that you watch about. Somebody getting slashed, somebody getting pushed in the street, uh, Jew, uh, uh, Hasidic Jews getting beat up, uh, burglaries, robberies. It's, it's almost predominantly by people of color. So what happens again right now? We're going to have this divide. That's where racism uh, sticks his head up because supposedly because people are going to be scared now. I see four black males walking together. Are they going to rob me? Okay, that's that's the fear in not just um, white people, but everybody when you see these groups of kids coming towards you. So I don't understand how how it um, how it helps. But this is this is um, uh, this is AOC's um, excuse. But as long as people think we can police our way out of problems that our housing, education, and healthcare policies created. We are going to continue having crime and violence. And by violence, I don't just mean committing it, um, but also system and power uh, committing it against the people. Now, you know what's great about that argument? And I'll finish with this. It's just that she's setting herself up for, um, because first of all, how long are we going to wait how many innocent people have to die before all your uh, strategies on, on people? Like, is this a three or four generation thing where we have to live without police before people stop? Because a lot of innocent people are going to die if we just we just get rid of police until people learn how to behave themselves. Right. But right. see, this, one more thing. You can't fix this type of mentality because the argument there is, well, what would happen if that was somebody in your family? And the truth is they wouldn't care because that just adds to their argument. They would say, see, it happened to my grandmother and it happened to her because all this racism coming from the past. Nothing about what to do now and how to fix it. Yeah, They don't care. They don't want to be wrong. No, and 
you know, let's, I mean, to, to be, to be clear, you know, no one's denying that this country has a, a, a very racist checkered past in certain areas dealing with law enforcement and black people. I'm talking about since the nineties, at least when community policing became, you know, more of the norm. Uh, but, you know, we, we've seen what happens with police pull back from black neighborhoods, right? The Ferguson effect. Now they see the Minneapolis effect. So after uh, Michael Brown was killed, police pulled back. After George Floyd was killed, police pulled back. And what happened? Crime skyrocketed. Then you throw on top of that after George Floyd is this defund the police movement and all this kind of stuff. And you saw it just, you know, all types of crime all over the country started, you know, skyrocketing. And all of a sudden you see like people, oh, maybe we shouldn't have, you know, maybe we shouldn't have defunded the police. I mean, it's like if you got a failing school, do you, do you cut the teacher salary and take away their funding to make it better? No, of course not. But that's exactly what they try to do because it's politically expedient. They don't care. You're right. They they spend seventy five grand a year, you know, on personal security, armed security. They don't they don't need police. They don't care. Um, but you know, I, I do want to go back to what you're saying about worrying about black people going to rob you in New York back in the you know seventies and eighties. I'm sure you've heard this story of Jesse Jackson uh, was in Harlem and he heard somebody running up behind him. And he turns around and sees it's a white guy. And he said he felt relieved, you know, and so this this is kind of how that era was. And, you know, Jesse Jackson, of course, civil rights kind of icon and, you know, ran for president a few times in the 80s. But that's what I try to get at people like when you have a pattern that exists in crime. And then police or people, you you know, non-police, you know, like you and me or anybody that's in the chat and they start reacting to the pattern when they see people. That's not racism. That's just profiling in a way that it's like, you know, the chances are higher with this person, especially if they look a certain way. You know, I tell people all the time, like when I would pull over black people uh, that had, you know, were dressed a certain way, I'd. It wasn't that my guard was down, but, you know, I kind of was like, oh, this is probably a college student or this is a professional. It's a teacher. It's a doctor or whatever. You know, but when you it's it's like this uh, video that I've, I've shown in my classes a lot of times. Uh, it's a Chris Rock. It's all the old Chris Rock bit where, you you know, how do you, how you not to get your ass kicked by the police? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. the one thing it's like if you're listening to loud rap music, when you get pulled, it, turn that shit off. Right. Keep your hands on the wheel. And, and you know, but when you come around somebody who who is projecting the gang lifestyle, whether they're a gang member or not, they're projecting it. I mean, right away, you're, you're just asking for trouble Mm -hmm. because you're, you're putting in that cop's mind. Okay. This person, is he a gang member? Is he not? Is he just, is just in the, you know, in the culture and that they, they automatically get a little bit more alert um, and, and, and on guard, you know, and then it's just, it's very frustrating. Uh, But you're right. I think, People aren't going to the, the types of people that, that are out there in the media or the politicians, they're not going to change their tune until it's no longer becomes politically advantageous for them. Right. Where, where I try to help people. Um, students, right. High school, college age that, that are still uh, haven't maybe not have not bought in hook, line and sinker to this narrative, but also people that are just kind of open-minded people like I, I got a buddy who's he's a liberal he's not conservative or anything about but he's he's very open and honest and he used to think that that black people were unfairly targeted like within the last 20 30 years and he started looking into it and realized well that's not what the data says and and so he he kind of evolved and and changed his mind about it those are the kind of people i i try to reach because you know people like aoc and lebron james nothing's going to change their mind um, with the well, lone exception, if they, they did a ride along, that might be the only thing, uh, that, that, that could possibly change their mind. Yeah. We've seen that before. We've seen the, um, you know, going, we call it the fun house over here, but when they go in and they got the, the, uh, they were doing police work with the screen and, and the, the virtual right. reality, uh, games that you, you, you go into and they, they always come out. A completely different person because things happen and move so fast in those situations but um you know it bothers me 
because I have a lot of friends in the, the you know uh, that are comedians that I travel with and we do shows and they're they're phenomenal people of color and uh, as well as actors and uh, you know anybody who um, who's striving and has goals and you know you 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 have dreams that you want to fulfill and you know you have a purpose you know you're talking about a, a, a large that that's mostly what we're talking about here, most of the people. And then you have these other people, like where I used to work in the projects, very, very small percentage of people, um, but they really don't have, they're on public assistance, maybe three or four generations, uh, mm -hmm. poor health, um, uh, you know, they don't eat right, um, and, and they're not getting the proper education. And it's, you know, those are the people that require the most attention, but they're also the ones doing the most damage. So because we're not, you know, kind of sort of arresting them anymore or, or, or punishing them for what they're doing, the rest of uh, society has to suffer, especially the people of color, because now they're going to be getting in elevators where people are holding on to their purses again, or maybe the cabs aren't going to come again, even though we don't use really use cabs anymore over here. It's mostly an Uber thing, but... Um, it's just a shame. It's just a shame because it doesn't it, it only hurts. It hurts everybody. Uh, especially like policing right now. If you're a police officer and you're out there and you're responding to a call, I mean, I don't even know what to do. We had two officers. Um, you know, there's not there's not some calls that you you can you can go to and other ones that you can avoid or, or, or go really slow. Those two officers, Mora and Rivera, that were killed. They went to a domestic violence call. They had to go in that apartment and they were talking to the mother and the door just flew open and this guy started ringing shots out. That's a call you have to go to. There's no way to defend yourself from that. There's no talking it in the hallway, seeing what's going on inside before I go in, being as careful right. as possible. It doesn't matter. They're shooting. They're calling you and ambushing you as a police officer. You know, it's a it's a full on attack, a war against law enforcement. And, um, you know, it really hampers the way you do police work. So we're taking steps yeah. back. We're taking so many steps back where we were finally in, in a metropolis like New York, where you could travel in uh, on the trains mostly safely for a long for about a 15 year period of time between Giuliani and, and Bloomberg. We're talking about over 20 years where the uh, first the crime went down. And then everything started thriving and everything was wide open and you can walk in the street at night and you weren't scared of anybody anymore. It's 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 all of it fell apart within, um, well, during the Blasio. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think, has to do with just this this era that we're in now where in the mainstream thought it's OK, sometimes even encouraged to not trust the police or to be anti-police. Um, you know, I, don't I know think, why. I don't well, know why. I have a, Go ahead. Tell me my theory is, and I, I have nothing against the man personally. Um, but I remember in 2008 when Barack Obama, me too. I know what you're going to say. First black president. And I remember I was working security before I started teaching. I had like a summer job working security at this water park and, uh, we were detaining these these two guys. Um, I forget what they had done, but they legitimately had done something, stolen something or whatever. And he's like, "You're just stopping us because we're black." And I was like, "Dude, Obama's president. This 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 race card is over." Um, mm. How wrong was I, right? But I think yeah. I think what happened is that he he kind of he started to made distrust. it seem like it was okay that to not I, trust police, you know. And, and I always have that feeling like that whole that was all a setup. Um, in, in, in um, with that Harvard professor, I feel like it was deliberately set up. I mean, we're talking about a highly educated man, um, who could have called anybody over with keys. I'm sure there was a bunch of people, and him and his driver supposedly breaking into their own house. And then once you get there, it's like, oh, you have to, oh, oh, officer, this is my place, this is my ID. And instead, the the, the situation got out of hand because he became confrontational. And that's why he had to be taken on. I don't have to explain myself to you. And this is also something that could have been handled with a phone call, because even if you're pre uh, personal friends with the president, why would you want to get the president involved? And if he did get involved, it could be just 
somebody from the White House calling that particular precinct, mm-hmm. let my friend go or else. No, he had to actually come on TV and talk about it. Now, it was the first time I ever saw uh, a president of the United States talking about a small little incident in Boston. Like, why? And I, that's why I always yeah. have a feeling like it was a setup just to start this ball rolling of distrust yeah, well, of the police. Look, go back and watch the video uh, of, of the memorial for the five Dallas police officers that were murdered by that Black Lives Matter activist. Um, you can see a lot of Dallas PD behind the podium. George W. Bush gets up and talks and, you know, says all kind of the right things. And Obama gets up there and, and he says a lot of the right things. And then at one point in his speech, he starts kind of insinuating that part of this is is justified because cops have done bad things. And you, you see the look of disgust on these officers who are standing behind him. Like, like you're going to come to a memorial of five people that were murdered mm-hmm. and, and insinuate that, well, we can, we can kind of understand why people don't like the police. Like that's not the time or place. And I think him doing that, whether he was conscious of it or not, uh, I, I really think that, that he made it seem like it was acceptable. She had the president of the United States you know, first lady saying, I've never been, you know, this is the first time I've been proud of America because it's been a racist country. And you you have that coming from the very top, the most powerful person in the world. I I think a lot of people were like, oh, now it's mainstream, right? The media runs with it and and all that. And and, um, yeah, you're going to find this very hard to believe, Will, but we are at it at the hour. I gotta. Oh, wow. I can't believe it, man. This is the quickest, one of the quickest conversations I ever had. Uh, that's how easy it went. But let me, uh, before we go, I just want to uh, touch base with the people in the chat and let's see what we have uh, before we say goodbye. Factual breakdown. My daughter got the yogurt shop she works at to give police a free cup of, or cone as a way of saying thank you. That's very nice of you all's uh, factual breakdown, but if you're in New York City, you're also helping those cops get indicted because apparently, well, at least this is what I, I was taught in the uh, academy, that if we get a free cup of a uh, free scoop of ice cream, it's it's corruption. That's actually what we were taught in the, in the academy, that it all starts wow. there. All the corruption starts with a free with a free scoop of ice cream but thank you uh factual breakdown for telling your daughter to do that that's very kind to you patty l do they still have ride-alongs with the public uh patty l i don't think you want to do a ride-along just now at this particular time you want to wait a couple of years um peter pronto yeah, it- of harlem raiders fame you'd like him he's a great guy he wrote this book harlem favorite uh, harlem raiders he says so true frank it took decades to get a handle on it fight the right balance of patrol tactics and a couple of incidents and years later undoes it all yeah well to to go back to that lady's question i think it was a lady uh citizens police academies you know at least down in this part of of the country in texas Pretty much any department of, of a decent size has a citizens police academy where you go through what you call the fun house or whatever. And, and at the culmination of it is they do at least a minimum of four hour ride along. Uh, four hours. I, wow. Yeah. I, I used to love doing ride along because I get to like teach people about what it's like. And, you know, some some of them would, would want stay the minimum and others would like, oh, this is fun. Let's keep going. You know, but as I, I said before, you know. LeBron James ought to go on a ride along in Cleveland, you know, where he's from. Go, go, go do a, a 10 hour tour and, and then come back and tell me that, you know, that you knew what you're talking about because he probably wet his pants, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the stuff that I think so too. I think it's interesting though, because I don't think he's going to be remembered fondly at all. I mean, when you look at uh, what a tremendous athlete he was and what an incredible basketball player he was, he doesn't really have the championships that he should have. Um, right. Whose fault is that? I think it's his. But more than that, I think his legacy is going to be tainted for being on the wrong side of so many ticket holders. You got to remember when you're playing and you're looking out, and that seat costs one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars, and we're talking about up there, and these things on the on the on the where where everybody's sitting right here on on the floor courtside, those were a couple of grand. Um, you know. They might love watching you play basketball, but they don't want to hear you talk, LeBron, because everything you say is stupid. So I think yeah. he's going to have an interesting retirement because his career is almost done now. The Lakers didn't even make the playoffs. How is that even possible? 
got Anthony Davis and you, and you don't make the playoffs. So yeah. he's gonna he's gonna I, I leave the NBA a couple years ago. So it was one of my favorite things to do growing up. Everybody says Spurs that. I haven't. I have not. My cousin is a big Dallas Mavericks fan, and they were in the playoffs, and and he was down to visit uh, for something, and and I put the game on for him. Um, but that's the only game I've watched in three years. Probably not. Like yeah, I said, I used to be a huge Spurs fan. Yeah, Michael Jordan. You, you know, he's uh, he was what I grew up, up with, and yeah. he knew he knew enough to. Um, I, even though he doesn't take credit for saying that, uh, what he's famous for saying, which is uh, Republicans buy sneakers too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, LeBron James is just he just rubs everybody the wrong way. He's just a, a moron. Anyway, um, <laughs> on that being said, let me just say goodbye to some other people. Peter Pranzo, great interview. Mark Will is a gentleman. Good luck with your book, Will. Raquel, um, Sandy, Sandy Riggs, great discrum. My background, military cop. Uh, where did you go? And cop myself. I was taught by daddy the measure of a man is not the color that matters. That's a great way. Listen, uh, I'm half Dominican, half Czech, so I, I've walked, I've been there, done that. I live Washington Heights. You know, I live in the Bronx now. I'm, a, I'm the real deal. But um, once again, if you love the show, please give uh, consider. Joining our Patreon, that's Police Off the Cuff at Patreon.com. And one more time for the book. This is the book, folks. It's called The Blue Divide. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, what is it? A Barnes & Nobles. Anywhere that you can purchase a book. Policing in and Race in America, The Blue Divide by Ph.D. Dr. William Marovitz. Thank you so much for sitting in Thank with you. me. Uh, you're always welcome much. to come back. If you come to New York, sure. look me up. And, yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll you know, come back. They don't have us a, have back scarves to go eat. I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> what did you say? As I, I might come visit when they, they do away with that back card requirement for going out to eat and stuff like that. I don't know. They actually have, believe it or not. They have you, already. They, okay, yeah, well, that's they, good. They're not, okay. they're not asking. They're not asking, asking, asking. That's such a New York thing. They're not asking for it anymore. They're asking for it, but they're not. They're not asking for it okay. anymore. Um, that's for right yeah. now. Now we have the, um, I the the next wave coming. Um, somebody <laughs> else just. It's only famous people by right now. Only only famous Democrats that are are catching uh, the new virus. By the way, that's because number yeah. four. It's closing. Yeah. yeah, they're putting the money together to get uh so Congress can pass it so we can all get our fourth booster shot. At some point, they're not going to have the money for it, and that's the beginning of the separate separating the classes, folks. If you can't, if you're not yeah. going to be able to come in here unless you you have your tenth um your tenth booster shot. shot, you know. And we, and we left the poor people behind at number six. All right, folks, <laughs> we're at a minute and an hour eight. Thank you guys for tuning in. You're a wonderful audience. Thank you for Will. Um, I'll be posting this up, and uh, we'll be back Monday with another exciting guest. Until then, have a phenomenal weekend and uh, please off the cuff after hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. Have a good night. That definitely went quick. <laughs>